one-man band. He can do everything. This guy is awesome. Thank, thank you, our intern. Do we give them days off? We didn't even. I don't think he knows that he can't take any days off. Well, welcome in the house of the Lord. Chris, could you flip on the two light switches to the far right there? I think we turn those on, don't we, Kevin? We had you doing so many things today. He's our light guy. He's our platform guy. No way. He's not 60 years young. Almost. He ran like a 20-year-old. Of course, he always has. Well, bless you this morning. Um, churches go through seasons, and we don't always recognize them or have discernment, but we are in a, an amazing season as a church. One of the things about this, I, I believe, I'm just going to say it, we're in a season of birthing. We're, we're, we're getting ready to have a baby. We've been expecting as a people, not just been the pastors, you guys, you just feel pregnant with Jesus. Yeah. You know? You just want to birth him in the world. I can feel it. I can say, you're like little Mary running around on the donkey just going, I want to give birth to this baby. And as a result, mothers go through labor when they birth. Right, mothers? And uh, right now, Susie and I's shoulders are, are we're, we're birthing, and the process is laborious. And um, now I'm, I'm talking way out of turn here because I have no idea. I've never felt birthing. But I understand there's a thing called transition where the, the wife can say about anything to the husband and she gets a pass. Yeah. And uh, Susie's not doing that yet, but we're in transition as pastors in the sense that we're birthing. And as a result, Susie's struggling physically. If you would just lift her up this week, physically, mentally, spiritually, tell her to breathe, tell her to focus. It's going to be okay. And uh, I know she knows that deep down inside, but her body is, is experiencing that actually physically. And so that's why she's not here today. That's my theory. Now I'll get home. She said, what did you tell the people? <laughs> I can speak for myself, Ralph, you know. But uh, she has such a heart as a mother for this place that when we go through a birthing, it really impacts her, and as it should, as the pastor. So we're excited. It's really exciting, even though it's painful. Um, you know, change is painful, but it's wonderful, especially if you know you're going to give birth to a baby. Yes? Yeah. The expectation. So get ready. Get ready to expect. Hey, it's all about Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh, this morning... The title of the message is Name Above All Names, and you would have thought I gave Kevin that message. His name is above all names. He's God, God, God. Turn with me this morning to Philippians 2, 8 through 11 as a place to jump off. Reading out of the English Standard Version. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Can you say that with me? The name that is above every name. He's God, God, God. So that at the name of Jesus, a few knees should bow. No. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, not just in heaven, 
and on earth, but even under the earth. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Now turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4 and get ready. When you're there, look up so I know that you found it. All right, thank you. No man left behind. Once upon a time, there was a people who stopped putting God first in their lives. The true light of their nation was going out. It began first with their spiritual leaders, a priest named Eli and his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They seemed to crave everything in this life but God. As a result of rejecting the true, the truth and the light of God, darkness descended upon their realm in the form of a devastating war. Those leaders lost all, and the people of God suffered greatly, losing the very presence, the very ark, the chest of the living God. They lost this ark to the enemy and, uh, uh, the enemy, and also they lost a thousand lives. But God was never defeated, and his name was still exalted among the nations. This is his story. Immediately after the battle, a Benjamite raced from the front lines back to Shiloh, his shirt torn and face smeared with dirt. He entered the town. Eli the priest was sitting on his stool beside the road, keeping vigil, for he was extremely worried about the chest of God. That's the Ark of the Covenant, by the way. You've seen the movie. When the man ran straight into town to tell the bad news, everyone wept. They were appalled. Eli heard the loud wailing and asked, Why this uproar? The messenger hurried over and reported. Eli was 98 years old then and blind. The man said to Eli, I've just come from the front, barely escaping with my life. And so, my son, said Eli, what happened? The messenger answered, Israel scattered before the enemy, the Philistines. The defeat was catastrophic with enormous losses. Your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died, and the chest of God was taken. At the words, chest of God, Eli fell backwards off his stool where he sat next to the gate. Eli was an old man and very fat. When he fell, he broke his neck and died. He had led Israel 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and ready to deliver. When she heard that the chest of God had been taken and that, and that both her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went to her knees to give birth, going into hard labor. As she was about to die, her midwife said, Don't be afraid. You've given birth to a son. But she gave no sign that she had heard. The chest of God gone, 
father-in-law dead, husband dead. She named the boy Ichabod, which means God's glory is gone. Saying, glory is exiled from Israel since the chest of God was taken. Would you stand with me as we pray for this message, as we finish the story after our greeting time? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this people. We thank you for ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today to the church. And Father, we thank you for the word you're about to speak into every heart that's in this house. That Father, you will give a divine, specific, special message to each individual that's here. That they'll have faith to believe you're going to speak to them, Lord. And that their life will be impacted in a way that, oh God, they never thought possible. And yet the joy of the Lord will reign supreme in them. Father, bless them today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Greet somebody in the name of the Lord. All right. If we can have everybody drift back to your seats, please. So the moral of the story is already playing out. This story of a kingdom that has lost the truth and the light of Israel. And now the very presence of God has entered into the enemy camp. Now we've seen the people's response and we've seen God's response, but do we know the heart of God? What is God feeling right now? How does God feel? You know, a lot of times we don't ask God, how you feeling, God? But he feels. He feels an amazing love for you. Deeper than any parent could feel for a child. Closer than any brother could ever be to another brother. He feels that much love for you and I. He loves his people. How does God feel at this point in the story? Continuing on with chapter 5, verse 1. Once the Philistines had seized the chest of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, brought it into the shrine of Dagon, and placed it alongside their idol, Dagon. Next morning, when the citizens of Ashdod got up, they were shocked to find Dagon toppled from his place flat on his face before the chest of God. And everybody said, amen. Amen. It's awesome. It's really awesome when we're on this side of the story, isn't it? They picked him up and put him back where he belonged. That sounds like a wise move. First thing the next morning, they found him again, toppled and flat on his face before the chest of God, Dagon's head, though, this time and arms were broken off, strewn across the entrance. Only his torso was in one piece. God was hard on the citizens of Ashdod. He he devastated them by hitting them with tumors. This happened in both the town and the surrounding neighborhoods. He let loose rats among them, jumping from ships. Their rats swarmed all over the city, and everyone was deathly afraid. When the leaders of Ashdod saw what was going on, they decided, the chest of the God of Israel has got to go. 
We can't handle this, and neither can our God, Dagon. <laughs> they called together all the Philistines, the leaders, and put it to them. How can we get rid of this chest of God, the God of Israel? Now, I didn't read it, but prior to the battle, Israel had been defeated in a little squirmish, and they came back and said, God, why are we getting beat? And they said, hey, let's call for the chest and the ark of God. And they brought the ark of the covenant into the camp of Israel, and a shout went out so great that the Philistines heard the earth tremble. And they said, oh, no, we've never seen anything like this, this God who defeated the Egyptians and caused ten plagues to be upon them. Men, fight like your life depends on it. And they did. And of course, they had no idea of knowing that the light of Israel had gone out in the bosoms of the people of Israel in that sense. And the leaders were so corrupt that God did not allow them to win that battle. And when the Philistines had routed Israel and killed about 30,000 of them, they, they took this Ark of the Covenant, which they were polytheists and you know what a monotheist versus polytheist a monotheist believes there's only one God with a capital G polytheists believe there are many gods which was the heart and attitude and theology of the Philistines so when they captured the God of Israel they brought this conquered God into their temple and put him before Dagon at the feet of Dagon, so to speak. Their God had trumped Israel's God. And yet now, being polytheists, they were able to add another God to their portfolio. And you feel stronger when you can add more and more powerful things to your portfolio. What they didn't know is that God said, I am a jealous God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. This is in Exodus 20, verse 2. It's also found in Leviticus, I believe. You shall not make anything that is in heaven above or a likeness of anything that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting iniquity upon all those who hate me. So how did God feel being ushered in front of this false god as if this false god had defeated him. Pretty amazing, isn't it? That the imagery that God portrays to this people, I don't know about you, but I can guess. I'm thinking your response wouldn't have been to prop up your old god again. I mean, what a funny response, isn't it? Oh, our god needs help here. Let's push him back up. He falls down again. He's just broken. And so they're bringing in Elmer's glue. They're gluing him back together. And their response was, get rid of the powerful one. Get rid of this one. 
because we're not going to let go of Dagon. Over the years, God's taken me back to this story time and time again because it's so easy for us to prop up false things in our life. Even in the light of a marvelous God. Now, one of the things you find in the massive presence of God is always, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, but you always find the word fear next to it. When God manifests himself to anybody in the Bible, they immediately have a sense of fear. I mean, it's, it's almost without exception. They, they fall in fear. Moses is a burning bush. People of God, when the mountain began to speak, they cried out, don't make us go there, Moses, and they backed away from the mountain. When the church was birthed, they even grew when they had a healthy respect and fear of God. When they found out they shouldn't even lie to the Holy Spirit. And Ananias and Sapphira dropped right on their face in the church. And it said great fear spread through the church and the church multiplied in the earth. There's something about identifying your false gods based upon the fear of loss of them. Our greatest and main and only fear should be a loss of the Lord in our life. That we lose the Ark of the Covenant from our lives. That we lose the presence of God from our life. Or that we have any other God that we stack up next to God and they're higher than him. Because God would take me back year after year, season after season and say, Ralph, is athletics more important to you than me? Is people loving you and liking you more important than me? Is being promoted and making more money of higher value to you than me? Because you remember the story of Dagon, Ralph. That if you put anything above me, I will topple it. For your sake. For your sake. Because this is a false security. It's a false God. If you chase this thing as if it's more important than me, you will be woefully disappointed in the end. And I'm only taking you at your word that you wanted me to be your God and that you asked me to be a part of your life and you asked me to be your Lord with no other lords in your life. And because you've asked that, we've made a covenant. By the blood of my son Jesus, I've written this covenant in my blood. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to ask you, I, we'll see if it's the Lord, I think, I believe, that if you could put the valuable things in your life on a list of paper, and I, and I wonder if you could just mentally do that, if you want to write it down, fine, and leave God out of it, literally, intentionally, leave God out of the list. You know, it's, it's like when I write Susie a Valentine's card, you're the most important thing to me in my life, and I went, and then you have to put in parentheses, except Jesus, you know, I mean... You know, it's hard, isn't it, to tell somebody you love them more than anything and your wife's more than the greatest. So I have to say, you are the greatest gift God's ever given me on this earth. Because in the back of my mind, I'm going, God's even bigger than my wife. 
in my life. And that's why she married me. She said, I'm looking for a man who loves God more than he loves me. So it was actually the woman I found. And I wanted a woman who loved Jesus more than me. Because when I let her down, I wanted somebody to prop her back up. I wanted somebody to give her strength in the midst of my weakness. And it's really worked wonderful for us to put Jesus first in our marriage. And Susie knows that if I put Jesus first and I'm talking to him, one of the first things Jesus always says is treat Susie better. Love her as you love yourself. So by loving Jesus more and more and more, it just gives you the capacity to love others more. But I wonder if you could mentally or at least some way list all the things that are of great value to you and you're most afraid of losing. Kind of bring that word fear into it. I was even thinking how silly we are, as many of us, and I've, I've been tempted this way, and where you've got a ladder and you start to go under it, and you go, whoa, not going under that ladder. And nobody's even on the ladder. I mean, I get it if somebody's up there. Don't walk under it. They can drop a hammer on you. Totally makes sense. Or if they're trying to work and you distract them while they're way up there. But it's an empty ladder. There's nothing there. And you go, well, why, why chance it? I don't know if your brain does that. What is that fear? Coach hands out jerseys. You get number 13. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is that in us? We can be Christians and still be afraid somewhere in the back of our minds. Do you know there is nothing biblically that says, thou shalt not wear number 13. <laughs> be afraid, be very afraid. Not a blip. Don't walk under ladders that are unattended. Bad mojo. I, it really began to deal in my heart this week of, what is a fear I have that's outside of a fear of the Lord? What's a concern I have that's outside of my total reverence and fear of God? And then God showed this scripture to me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of something. The fear of the Lord, it says it twice in Proverbs, just in case you're not sure what it means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, is that the same as knowledge? Not necessarily. So later the proverb says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge too. The fear of God, wouldn't it have made the people in the Philistine country much wiser if they'd have feared God more than Dagon? Wouldn't it have been smarter for them? Wouldn't it have been wiser to them? Now I didn't read the rest of the story, but one town sends it to the other town and Gath gets it and they go, ah, and then all of a sudden everything breaks out in their life and they give it to another city. By the third city they're saying, do not bring that thing here. Instead of embracing the Lord and moving him to the first place and only place in their lives, they pushed him away. And as a result, they didn't behave in the wisest way. Of course, Israel wasn't behaving wisely because with Hophni and Phinehas, they didn't really fear God either. And they lost everything. And the Lord just is asking today, now that you have your list of everything that's important and of value to you, now move God's name into that list and place him in your list. Do you have to place him in your list and move some up and move some down? In your heart, is there anything in your life 
that's more valuable, more important, higher, that you fear more than losing God. Today's a day to search and try your ways and turn again to the Lord in every aspect of your life. I'm even praying that little thing I said about superstitions, just click something and go, why am I ever afraid of being cursed? You know, I hear people say, you know, I hope somebody didn't put a curse on your life. They can't because I'm under Jesus' name. His name is above every name on earth, in heaven, or underneath in the areas of the netherworld. His name is above everything. You cannot curse me without God's blessing being removed from my life. In fact, that's what the word curse actually means, is God's blessing is removed. Now, I don't earn his blessing. That's what my confidence lies in the fact that I'm trusting in Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Upon Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and trust in his righteousness, not yours. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in your life, not you doing everything right and then you deserve a blessing. But if you put Jesus first, trust his righteousness, then all these things, then all these things that you are concerned about, all these things that are of importance to you, will follow, the Bible says. Isn't that awesome? The smartest thing you could do is fear God above everything. Fear losing him above everything in your life. And you won't lose anything of value. Let me say that again. If you fear God as the greatest value in your life and you're more afraid of losing his presence in your life than anything else, then nothing of value in your life will ever be lost. If you lose it, say good riddance, I guess, because it must not have been a value. My heavenly father is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And if something drops off, I don't need it. Do you have that level of faith for your shepherd? The Bible was very clear. It doesn't say make Jesus savior of your life. And before you gasp with air, it says make Jesus Lord and savior. Jesus is first your Lord and then your Savior. Lord and Savior. No other name. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. He is my Lord. I'm not bossing me. My wife's not bossing me. Nobody's bossing me. God is bossing me. And my heavenly Father says, if you really, really love me, you'll love other people and you'll submit to them. So I submit to others out of a love for Jesus, whether they deserve it or not, because I don't deserve love. Now, I say that kind of flippantly because it's a lot harder than it sounds. Yes? And I have to think through, why am I submitting to this? Is this God's will for my life that I have this job? Then I will submit to that employer. Now, your employers can never and should never ask you to do anything illegally or unethically according to God's will for your life. If your employer asks you to do something illegal or unethical, pray for great wisdom on how you will rectify that situation by not obeying them. Okay? And there are ways many times now, even in society, how to be a whistleblower, how to, you know, complain up and not down and get, ask for wisdom. Daniel came to an impasse where he couldn't bow to any other gods. And he didn't change what he was doing. 
and God protected him. The three Hebrew children were submitted to the king. They even said, O king. They called him king. They submitted. But we cannot do this thing to bow to any other God but our God. And even though they were submitted in all other areas of their lives, they wouldn't do anything unethical or immoral in the eyes of God because they feared God more than any other man. Now, that's easier said than done. I understand the struggles. I've been out in the world. I worked in public education 29 years. I understand there's this how to be in the world but not of the world. How to be a light in a dark place without violating the laws of the land. When the laws of the land would ever ask me to do something illegal or moral, I wouldn't do it. But fortunately, I never really ran into that, to be honest with you. I just had to honor the people around me. Jesus is he Lord today? Is Jesus' name above every other name in your life? I hope you heard me when I said that just because Jesus is Lord and he's your boss doesn't mean we don't submit. Doesn't mean we don't follow laws. The Bible's very clear. The Lord's word is very clear that we are to obey the laws of the land, to honor our leaders, our governors, our presidents, and pray for those leaders. Very clear God doesn't want an unsubmitted spirit. But in my heart, there should only be one king. And if there's anything in your life that you're exalting above God, it does you a favor when it crumbles at his feet. Don't prop it up. I heard you all laugh when I said that the Philistines propped it back up. But we do that. Let it go. And give it to God and turn to him again. And turn to God with all your heart and all your might. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your might and all your soul. And the second is as unto it, love one another as you love yourselves. The whole Bible is summed up into those because God is positioning himself in the heart of man where he belongs. Love the Lord your God with all, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your resources, with your time, with your money, with your life. And if you will give him preeminence in all those areas, you won't lose anything of value. You won't be afraid of losing money by giving him 10%. Not an issue. I fear what happens when I don't do that. And I don't say that to be arrogant. And I don't say it because we need money. We are in the middle of the best year financially we've ever had in the history of our church. We still blow other pastors away by how much this size of a congregation gives to Jesus. So is everybody okay with the fact I'm not asking for money? I'm asking for your peace and your joy and your life that you'll get to the point of your life where you're not afraid of losing income. You're afraid of not giving to God what's his because his name is higher than the mighty dollar. His name is higher than the Lexus. His name is higher than the Chevy pickup. His name is higher than that wonderful Prius that we drive. His name is higher than everything, than my hobby, than my career, than my sports. Nothing's higher than him. And I honor him by loving others as much as I love myself. Loving my wife first and my family first and loving on them and taking care of them honors my God. This morning, I know that God 
is challenging us to move to a place of the greatest blessing we've ever experienced in our lives. God wants to bless you unhindered. Don't hinder him. I remember saying to the Lord when I first came to him, I was aware that out of the 40 acres of my life, I'd charted out and mapped out a little 10-foot by 10-foot plot, and I told God, God, this is yours. Just grow wheat like crazy here, God. Just You just do your thing here, God. I give you this 10 by 10 acre. You know, this is the acreage you can have, God. You can have it all. But in reality, I wanted to farm the rest. Do you realize God could just do all that he wanted there, but he's limited now? And God says, Ralph, I'm pouring into your life as fast as I can, but you're like this little funnel into your heart. And I'm trying to dump my blessing into your life as fast as I can, but you've only given me this much of an opening. Oh, let it go. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things. Get free. Get free. Just give your heart fully to the Lord. Just give it unabashedly to God. Just give it courageously to God. Don't be an Israel that lets the presence of the Lord be taken. Put God first in everything in your life and be free. For we are free indeed, aren't we? In Jesus Christ, we are free and free indeed. It's not bondage to give my heart to Jesus. It's bondage to give my heart to money. It's bondage to give my heart to my career choices. It's bondage to try to be better, do better, get more, be greedy. It's harder to do that, and it's in bondage when you begin to do that. But when you let go of all that, you walk into a freedom. You're like the girl on the front of the Titanic. The whole Titanic could be going down, but you're having the ride of your life. And God wants you to have a free life, a wonderful life, a blessed life. And God is positioning us as a church to be free, to love on this world like Jesus loves, and to let him be Lord. Lori, would you go ahead and come up? We're going to go ahead and close this morning with this part. But that scripture is really amazing. It says, let us search and try our ways. And if anything in our life after we search needs to turn, let us turn again to God. There's no condemnation here. This is kind of exciting. When God speaks like this to a church, he's getting us ready to move. He's getting us ready to birth. I mean, you dads, when you're having a baby, the man cave may go, but you get a kid in its place. Yeah? And you, so you start to reprioritize your life because of the birthing. God's just prioritizing our life for the birthing he's going to do in our midst where we can just be free to love on Jesus with all our heart and our soul and our might and to love others as we love ourselves. And we will experience a freedom in this life that'll drop our shoulders from around our neck, from our neck. Peace. He's the Prince of Peace when we make him our Lord. This morning, could you stand with me and let's just turn our hearts to God and say, God, I want to serve you more in the days ahead in a loving... I want my heart, oh God, to be given to you wholly, God. I want to give you all 40 acres of my life, God. I don't want any part left over, Father, that's not under your care, your protection, your blessing, and your guidance. I will seek you first, God, above all things. For you are righteous and kind. Go ahead, Lori. This is my story. Hallelujah. This is my story. Yes, Father God. Praising my Hallelujah. 
You know, God asks us to do some things that are really outlandish. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Man alive, how are you going to do that? Just give your heart to Jesus 100%. Oh my gosh. God, do you know how difficult that is? That's why he sent us Jesus. Because apart from him, we can't do what I'm feeling the Lord's telling us to do. But with Jesus Christ our Lord, he will break the bondage that doesn't allow us to move on. People that don't have Christ can't get away from sin. I don't know why Christians tell the unbeliever, just stop it. Because I can't without the power of Jesus in my life. But if you've never experienced the power of Jesus, you you will find out that once you ask him into your heart, the other gods can, he will, he will, with your permission, just drop them off and break them up and throw them and sweep them out of your house. So this morning, God's not asking you to have more perseverance, uh, more grit, just grit your teeth and do it. He's not asking that. He's saying, if you are willing, I will kill all the other gods. Will you let me? That does not mean you're all going to show up next week penniless, clothing off of your bodies. You're all here, you know, scantily dressed because God wiped out all. All good things will stay in your life. But will you have the courage this morning to say, Father, I don't even know some of the things that have a grip on my life, that are controlling my life, that are lording over my life. But God, I give you permission to just wipe them out in one fell swoop this morning. Do you have the courage to trust Jesus with killing all other gods in your life? Wouldn't this be awesome? In Jesus' name, right now, with faith believing, if you believe that you want and can believe for God, just reach up your hand and say, God, I want to believe that you can kill every God that I'm aware of, every God I'm not aware of, that, Father, I'll no longer be in bondage to these false gods or these false concepts or these false attitudes. God, I allow you permission to come into my house with faith believing you are Lord of lords, you are King of kings, you are God, God, God in my life. I allow you to be God. I allow you to rule and reign in my my heart. I allow you to Lord over every aspect of my life. 
Defeat our enemies today, Lord, in your precious, precious name. Put every enemy of this people at your feet right now in Jesus' name. That we would give you permission as individuals and as a church to allow you to put every enemy in our life under our feet right now in Jesus' name. And we will rejoice in God our Savior. <laughs> we will rejoice in God our Savior. And we will rejoice in God our Savior. For you are saving us from bondage. You're saving us, oh God. And we thank you. Even today, you're still saving your people. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I've asked David to come up and just lead the rest of us in a prayer this morning. And David, you go ahead and Michelle, come on up. And if you've never, ever given your heart to Jesus, you are in for the most awesome thing that has ever happened to you. It is so cool. So I'm going to ask David just to close the service here this morning and give you a chance to see Jesus. If you would all pray with me. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I recognize my sin. Lord, forgive me. And again, Father, be Lord and Savior in my life. You know, if you prayed that for the first time this morning, we want to encourage you. We all need to pray it over and over again. Be Lord and Savior. We all need to pray it over and over again. Lord, I know I have sin in my life at times. Forgive me, oh God. But if you prayed that for the first time this morning, would you let us know? Would you just let, put your hand up and say, yes, Lord, I, I, I recognize I've prayed that for the first time. But we encourage you, no matter who you are, to let Jesus be the name above all names. To let him be Lord in every situation that he, we would all be able to trust in him in a way we have not been able to trust before. So, Father, again, we thank you for this house. We thank you for your word. Let us go out with peace now, Lord God, and be led in your presence. Your kingdom come and your will be done in this house. And everyone said, amen. amen. Child, I give you an answer, you take me a mile. I feel the